Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth. A podcast exposing the truths of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of What They're Worth. We're getting up there in episodes. Today, we are super duper excited to come at you from the beach um, to welcome two very cool new guests. Yes. So today, we're going to introduce you to Trish and Roy. They are best friends who are on this journey together. And so if you guys just want to start, tell us a little about yourselves. Sure. So I'm Roy. We, uh, Trish and I, have kind of started this foster care journey a little while ago, and uh, I am currently a therapist and um, also oversee a counseling program in the northwest suburbs of Illinois. Yeah. And so we're just kind of uh, figuring out this foster care thing together, um, partnering up and, and figuring out how we best care for these kids. Yeah. And I'm Trish. And uh, yeah, so Roy and I originally met um, about nine years ago in 2010. And then our kids started moving in in 2013. And so we've been fostering now for about six years. I am also a licensed counselor and worked in the field for um, about 12 years before I decided to stay home as a parent. And so I'm currently staying home. And I have launched a website, um, trishyonker.com, where I do um, like free blogging and lots of resources and stuff for foster and adoptive parents, as well as um, I do coaching sessions. And I've written a book that people can pick up if they're interested in more support. Very cool. So, Christina, you are the outcast today. You're the only one that's not a therapist. How does it feel? We're, we're ganging up on you. We're ganging up on you and analyzing everything you say. Ah, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. I'm a teacher. I am used to that part. <laughs> People ganging up on me. Um, so, yeah, they're here today to share their, their story, which is really interesting. And I know I'm excited to hear more about it and mm-hmm. to learn from their experiences. And I hope our listeners are as well. Yeah. So why don't you guys kind of take us to the beginning of how, how you got involved in this and how you got involved in it together? Sure. So um, it all really kind of started when I kind of transitioned into full-time work and, and wanted to still be working with that, that had either special needs or just needed, you know, special attention and things like that. And so I got connected um, with a, an organization called Royal Family Kids Camp. And it's a camp for kids in the that are in the foster care system. It's a national organization. And um, I happen to be a part of a small group where the leaders of, of that small group um, were volunteering at the camp. And so I went um, for a week and got matched with a, a camper. Um, at the time, he was 11 years old. And at the time, he was also placed in a residential facility. And so I thought I, I after um, serving at camp in that, thought it would be a great idea to uh, go ahead and, and mentor him. And so, so I mentored him for about a year. And then I was actually approached in that year and asked if, because we had built such a good relationship, if it would make sense for him to potentially move in. And my initial reaction to that was a little bit of freaking out because it, I was a young single guy who had never 
even thought had that on my radar whatsoever and uh, had just started my career and, and was just like, how am I going to make this work? And so Trish and I um, had, uh, had already been friends at that point. And so that was something that I had talked and spent time talking with her about is how would I make this work? How would this even happen? Um, but not immediately turning it down and saying no, but like really considering it. Like, is this a possibility? How could I make this? How could we make this work? So uh, Trish really stepped up at that time and was like, we can make this happen. We can make this work. And so uh, really supported me through that. I really would not, I don't think I would have been able to do it by any means without Trish's support. And so really from day one, Trish has been there kind of looking at that going, yeah, let's let's do this together. And so then we really walked into him moving in and uh, and fostering for that first couple of years. And in that time, we really got to know his siblings really well and being able to really kind of fall in love with them. They would come over for sleepovers and spend time together and and um, and in all of that, we really got to the point of really wanting to, you know, also support them as well and, and wanted to do everything we possibly could for them. And so the opportunity came along within the first couple of years of our character, the, the one boy, that that they really, they, they also needed a place, they needed a home. And so um, with that, we, Trish and I kind of looked at each other and said, like, is this something that we could make happen? You know, at the time, me and 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 that young and that boy were were in a two bedroom apartment. You know, and Trish was very much there and very much involved, but had her own apartment as well. And um, and then uh, the situation came along where it was like, I think this is going to happen. Like, we need to really figure out: is this something that can we can realistically do? Could we move in together and create a home? And um, and Trish gets a lot of credit. Like she like did a lot of the research and figuring out like what kind of home we would need and how many bedrooms and like how fast we would need to make this happen. If, if, if it ultimately, if it came down to, yes, they needed to move, you know, and, and be placed with us. And so um, when it finally got to that point where it was like, yeah, this is happening. Trish, how many days was it? Like three days you had like keys in hand, like ready, like. Yeah, we, we, so we got the call on a Tuesday. I mean, we had been, there was about a, I think it was 16 months where we were just doing sibling visits and, you know, getting to know these kids. And then we would have these conversations, but the day the call came was a Tuesday afternoon. And Roy and I were both working together as therapists in this office and one of the teenage girls called me from the police station and said, they've taken us, we're in the police station, they're going to split us all up, will you help us? And I said, yes, absolutely, like, you can come. Like, I didn't even have to ask Roy. Like, we'd had multiple conversations over the previous 16 months so that when the call came, like, we were ready to do it. So we got the call on Tuesday. I researched houses online, specifically what was available. But like he said, I already knew what district I wanted. I knew what the bedroom measurements had to be. Like, I knew all this stuff for to make sure that DCFS would license the house. Um and then uh, I walked through it on Thursday, but Roy couldn't come because he had to work. So he just looked at the online pictures. And then Friday morning, um, we signed the rental lease and and we called the, the guardian ad litem in the morning at 830 in the morning and said, we've got the keys. Go. She was on her way into court and she's like, OK, I'll tell them that they need to go to you. And I was like, OK. <laughs> and then they started moving in. That was that was 2013. And we were really we were really fighting for um 
six of the siblings to move in with us. So we were really, we were fighting for to have seven. And we were trying to figure out all the options as far as how do we do this if both of us are working or if one of us stays home. Because um, as we mentioned before, Trish and I were both um, child therapists. And so figuring out, you know, what does that even look like? And um, like even does it like going through and being like, okay, well, this room, because the kitchen looks onto the, to this dining room area, we're not going to change it into the dining room. We're going to make that the playroom and like going oh through gosh. and trying to like figure out like, how do we do this? And um and so um, they actually ended up placing four of, of the seven. Um, so we had a grand total of five um, because, you know, the one that was living with me at the time, um, you know, moved in with them. And so it was, it was five. Um, and so, you know, throughout that time, we're hosting a lot of sibling visits and really trying to keep the family connected as much as possible. Um, always trying to say yes to, to uh, visits and, and, and sleepovers and, and doing whatever we can because, you know, it's, it's so important for the siblings to see each other and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and yeah, so then from really 2013 on, you know, really trying to, you know, keep this family, get, get them stable, see what the options are. You know, Trish and I really made the commitment that we were going to care for them as long as they needed to be cared for you know, up until 18 years old. And so um, there's a really a lot of question marks on whether they were going to go back home or whether they were going to stay with us and that sort of thing. And ultimately, for the most part, there's a, there's a couple of individual stories, but for the most part, they they stayed with us during that time. And um, But if I could, Roy, can I jump in for a quick second? Like back in 2013, so essentially to explain a bit of the dynamics of our relationship, um, Roy is gay and I'm straight. And we had... Um, we had no idea how long this was going to last. Like we had no idea if this was going to be three months, like how long, like they were just foster care. Their goal was return to home, you know? So we felt very strongly at that time that we were called to this family dynamic for however long, but it was for me personally, having been a therapist for a few years before this, for about like eight, nine years before 2013, I had worked with a lot of foster and adoptive families and I was not interested in being a foster or adoptive parent. Um, I had, before meeting these kids, was knew it would be hard and I was very scared of it. Roy was much more excited about it. But what I want to really make clear from our story is that it was very much a transitional mm -hmm. moment for me when I met these particular kids and yeah. something changed in my heart where I really felt like this was something I needed to do. And so even though it seemed super crazy to give up my cute little apartment in the city and for us to make this decision to move in together as best friends and to create this life together, um, we just kind of said we're in it for however long it goes. And if that means walking them into adulthood and, and doing whatever that looks like, that's what we're going to do if that's three months. So we basically... Um, just we're open at that point to whatever we needed to do and, and however uncomfortable that might be for us because this was really uh, what needed to happen for these kids to stay together. There, were, there was no other way for these siblings to be able to live in the same house. And that was a huge value for us that we were really willing to step up and do. And then, so we decided, you know, we couldn't afford to buy a big house. I mean, we were working in this local nonprofit you know, community mental health center. So we could rent it. So we like 
jumped in and we sent out letters to some of our friends and said, hey, you know, we're breaking leases in order to move into this big house. We don't have enough bedding. We don't have enough towels. We don't have enough of anything. Um, and so friends started helping us out and friends of friends started helping us out. And and it turned out that the exact amount of money that people gave to us was the exact amount of money that we needed to break my lease. And bunk beds showed up and toys showed up and we had everything that we needed. And so even though the day we said yes, it wasn't neat and clean and pretty. Um, there was no white picket fence. Um, it turned out to becoming a really beautiful home because of the community and the village that kind of came and surrounded us during that season. And, and it became something that I really, really wanted and was really excited awesome. about. <laughs> I love those stories. I love those parts of stories, how everything was like exactly how it needed to be somehow. It's, mm -hmm. it's awesome. Yeah, I heard, I think I heard a couple little themes in there. The first being that you never thought that you would do it. And a lot of people feel that way until they fall in love with kids, which you also said. And I think that's why it's so important that people who have an interest in this do more than just watch a movie about foster care, you know, or watch an episode of This Is Us. Because things really change when you hit, when you meet faces, when you know stories and you do have, you know, connections with kids beyond, you know, a lot of people look at the heart gallery or, you know, p photo online pictures of kids. Um, and I think there's just something really special about doing that. So I think, you know, a lot of people who have that interest and they're kind of afraid, I think mentoring, volunteering, you know, getting involved somewhere where you can start to see and not just think about it can go a long way for a lot of people yeah. and change them from one team yeah. to the other. I was going to say, like, in addition to that, like even potentially even if being willing to do respite, you know, where if, if they're, they're really wanting to take a look at it, being able to say, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to help one week in a month and, mm -hmm. and going through the process of getting in touch with the local agency to see if they could be a respite worker and, and being able to be, you know, give the foster parents a break. But it's those, it's those kind of gateways in where you're providing and adding to the community and providing that additional support. And having community, that was the other thing. And that we hear that a lot too. And people who are successful, and when I say successful, I mean people who stay in it because I'm sure you guys know the statistics, you know, people who start fostering and they do not last very long. I'm sure there's a lot of things that contribute to that, but having a good community, having one good friend, you know, can go a super long way. And in your case, which I find so inspiring and so cool is taking it like that next level and not just saying like, Oh yeah. Hey, like I'll watch them when you need to go to the store or whatever, but actually saying, you know what, I'm a part of, yeah, I'm like, an active part of raising. Let's do life together. Yeah. Let's do life together. And you know, that's like so lost in our world in general. Like I just feel like people just don't live like that anymore. Mm -hmm. We're so independent. We're so individual mm -hmm. and it's like, Oh, it's, you know, it's weak to need anybody. And that just really does not help society and it doesn't help kids. So I think it's just so awesome that you guys, you know, did people think you were crazy? Re realistically, um, there were some relationships and friendships that there was some distance that ended up resulting um, because they, 
were confused by it. They didn't understand it. And, um, you know, whether it be from a religious standpoint, they just, they didn't fully agree with a man and a woman moving in together and living under the same roof. Um, even though, you know, we're not having a sexual relationship, you know, but so, so that was hard, but just kind of recognizing that. But I think the beautiful thing is, is that we saw the friends that were jumping in wholeheartedly. Um, when, when we went through the various stages of our process, we saw people come out of the woodwork, both in our faith community and just within our personal lives that really stepped up and provided for us and supported us. Um, there was a season where we had to actually transport, we were working and we had to transport um, one of the kids to the city for school every day. Um, it was a bit of a unique situation, but we had to drop drop that that um, child off and pick that child up every day. And so we had people coming by to, to babysit the other kids. We had at one point, one day, one of our friends actually went to the city to pick the kid up. And it, so, I mean, it was beautiful to see how people were really willing to come around us and support us through that time. And so there's there's been ebbs and flows to it. And I think part of it too is people don't know how to help. And I think one of the great things that I think when Trish was really talking about getting her business going was providing online resources that would provide ideas for families and friends who family, you know, the family and friend is, is getting into foster care. So it's for their family and friends to go, this is what you can do to help that the person that's jumping into foster care might not think to ask, Hey, I could really use some car wash tickets, you know, to get the inside of my car vacuumed or, Hey, if you would be willing to just offer to come by and just grab a bag of laundry and I'm going to go to my house and I'm going to wash it, dry it and fold it and have it back to you within a day. Like those aren't the types of things that we as foster parents are going to ask people to do. I'm not going to ask anybody to do my kid's laundry, but if somebody showed up and said, no, 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 get a bag together. I'm taking this to my house. I'm washing it, folding it and getting back to you because I love you and I want to support you in this. I'm going to be like, okay, here you go. You know? So it's, and for Trish to really have the ingenuity to create like ways that family and friends can support those that are fostering. I just think those types of resources are really needed. Um, and so that's, that's also been helpful to know that those resources are out there and, and having our family and friends being willing to step up in those ways. Cause I, I think that we've, we've had both experiences and I, lo- I think most people have come to me and said, how can I help you? And the thing about foster parents and adoptive parents is usually they're the kind of people that are the helpers and we're not the kind of people that are used to being helped. So if someone just comes up and says to us, and you, I'm assuming you guys might even be the same, where they say, how can I help you? We generally say, we, oh, thanks so much. We're good. Like our hands are full and our hearts are full. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> we have like mm-hmm. cute little things we might mm-hmm. say back, but it's like, cause we're uncomfortable receiving help, right? <laughs> And so when I had a friend who just came to my house one day and she knew that we were in the thick of it and it was really hard and my kitchen was trashed and I mean trashed. We had teenagers who were like messing up the kitchen and not cleaning up. And, um, and she said, you have two choices. I'm either going to clean your kitchen or I'm going to buy you ice cream. What would you like? 
And I said, I feel super uncomfortable with you cleaning my kitchen. <laughs> so I would really like the ice cream. And she went to the store and she got two different flavors and she brought it back. And Roy and I just hung out and just ate ice cream for a while and left the kitchen for another day. And it just felt, I felt seen in that moment. And I felt like somebody saw like that I'm, I'm not a slob and my kitchen's not a mess because we don't know how to clean. It was it was because we were going through a really hard time and she was in it and she saw us and she wanted to support us and buying ice cream was so, I'll, I'll never forget the way she looked at me, and asked me that question. I love hearing those examples of simple mm-hmm. ways because one, I mean, one kind of simple, but not simple thing that our community does a lot is meal trains, just like with foster kids or even with mm-hmm. our, like birth biological children and just, you know, just coming around and just doing simple things. And, and one of my other friends recently went through something and I, she told me her, her, one of her friends from church came over and said, I'm cleaning your house. And she was totally uncomfortable with it too at first, but she's like, then I realized like what a gift that was. Like the lady almost didn't give her an option. Like I'm going to clean your house because I see that you're stressed and you physically can't do it. So let me help. I love that. And, yeah. and it is hard to, to receive help as foster parents too, yeah. because I know personally, sometimes I think if I ask for help, people are going to come back with, you're choosing to do this. You should have been prepared or don't you have the means to do it? But it's a different type of life. It's a different type of crazy sometimes. And, you know, and, and, and we need that community. We need that community to, like you said, be a successful and I guess long-term foster adoptive parents so that we can, we can stay in it. We can do it. I don't always even know what to ask. Like I know when I've really been in it, it's like, you're so, I don't, not even overwhelmed, but also like one track minded. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, sometimes I can't even, if one of my kids is really struggling, it's like, I can't mm-hmm. even really think about anything else. I'm just like, yeah. oh gosh, they're struggling. Like, how do I help them? And so if somebody was like, how do I help you? I would just be like, I don't pray for us. That's pray. what I say. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, you can't even orient. So if somebody comes in and is like, oh, look, that's messy. Or like, you know, it's almost, and you know, we should be able to articulate what we need. But I think sometimes it's just hard. And so, yeah, I know a lot of people. I would, I would argue this is one of those situations where it is, it, it is very hard to articulate what you need. Um, because I've, I've talked with other foster parents that, that say the same thing. It's, it's very hard to articulate for some of the reasons that you guys even pointed out. Um, you know, just, just the, 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 you you know you chose this issue or whatever the case may be, but it's a challenge. And so when people can come in and say, "This is what I'm doing," step aside and let mm-hmm. me do it. Like that's it's incredibly freeing, I think, for us as well. Yeah, definitely. So, what are some of the things we can do? What are some things people can do? How can mm-hmm. we offer some simple things that people need? I guess I like sharing the meal train one. I liked the yeah, ice cleaning. cream. I ice, cream the ice cream fixes everything for me. Wine chocolate. Like I tell my friends all the time, any day of the week that you feel called to bring me a bottle of wine, I will accept it. Um, (laughs) And chocolate. I take little things, I guess, to just show. I I like people taking my children away. Yes. (laughs) That's my favorite one. I'm like, oh, what was that? You're going to the park? Here you go. And adding on to that, even with teenagers, like I had a friend who like would come over and pick up our teenagers. And some people um, just think of that when it's like little children that you need help with babysitting. Right. But quite honestly, like with 
Well, and with us having a larger family, it was also nice to have them get that one-on-one attention too. So if a friend would come and take them out and take them to Starbucks and buy them a drink that I wouldn't necessarily buy them and sit and listen to them Mm -hmm. talk about whatever drama was going on at school, like, or even drama with us, they have have an ear of somebody and, and gets their attention and validates them. And, but then at the same time goes, you know, you know, but Roy and Trish, you know, they love you, you know, are able to add that little bit, you know, (laughs) awesome. Right. But yes, but that that's incredibly helpful. Yeah. 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 So we've had definitely like helping out with childcare, even like when we're home, it's just nice for somebody else. Like you were saying, Mm -hmm. like just a little bit of a break, um, for us to breathe a little bit. Um, I think food has been awesome. I think we've had just a friend of ours the other day just gave us a gift card to a restaurant. Um, Mm. so we can kind of choose and we can choose if, if it's something we want to do as a family or if it's something the two of us just want to go do, um, cause we need a break as partners Mm. and we need to get out of here. Um, so Mm. definitely gift cards are super easy because then we can choose when we want to use it. Yeah. Um, I think also just a, a point that Trish made earlier is just being seen. Yeah. I think somebody coming into, into the house and just saying, I'm going to, I want to sit with you and I want to, I want to hear what's going on or we can talk about something else or I can talk about something completely else to help you get your mind off of it. But I'm going to sit in it with you for a couple of hours and let you know you're not alone. Yeah. Um, And the stuff you're going Mm -hmm. through and the things you're dealing with, you're not crazy, you know, Mm -hmm. for, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. limit you set, you know, and, and being able to just kind of be present in it because sometimes it can feel really isolating. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, doing, and, you know, with, with these kids and, 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 um, being able to, in some of the more ridiculous moments, you know, uh, sometimes it has you questioning, like, am I crazy by, you know, telling you, you can't have 18 (laughs) cookies before dinner, like, or, you know, whatever the case may be, um, you know, and, and having somebody sit alongside you and go, yeah, you're not crazy. Like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And a good friend once told me years back now, but it was some really good advice, especially for people who may be listening, who don't have foster care experience, but want to be there and want to hear them, but aren't quite sure what to say. Um, One of my friends always starts off when I have something to tell her, she asks me, do you want me to just listen or do you want me to listen to give advice? And I love that she's said that to me because that's really given me a lot of freedom um, to come to her for different situations because I can say, listen, I just want you to listen. I don't want to hear anything bad. I just need to say it. Or, hey, I need your advice. Do you think I'm crazy about this? (laughs) Um, And I I think that's really freeing to start a conversation that way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been cool. Changing gears a bit. So we heard kind of the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. We've had how many years? Six in between. So, I mean, how has it gone? Talk about, I'm sure, mountains and valleys. You know, maybe can you touch on some of the, some of both of those a little? Yeah. Some highlights. Sure. Sure. So, so in, in kind of the roller coaster. So we said originally, you know, it, it really started with this core seven, and so, what, a year and a half ago, two years ago? Yeah, the little, the little ones didn't move in. So, so they, they did not move in at the time in 2013. Um, and about a year and a half ago, um, they moved in for a chunk of time, um, for about six months, and were with us. And so that was, 
that was wonderful to be able to have them because we still were very connected with them. Um, they knew who we were. They were very comfortable with us. You know, we were very, you know, connected with them, but to have them then living with us was, was really wonderful. And, and, um, it's funny, Trish, you know, would make the joke is that, you know, we started with like teenagers and we kind of <laughs> slowly over time kept working backwards. And so when the little ones moved in, the youngest was in first grade. And so it was like, yay, we have a oh, first grader. Oh, she was in kindergarten. So it's like, yay, we have a kindergartner. Um, so next are babies, I guess. The other part of the story is, so in 2013, it was the year I turned 40. So I'm like 40 years old, first time parent. We've got five kids ages nine to 16. So then over time, they're growing up and a couple of the older ones are moving out. And then I'm like 44 years old and I got a kid in kindergarten. (laughs) I just was doing like high school, like getting the nacho chips ready at the football game. (laughs) And now I'm like going to like the kindergarten events. And I was like, this is just... Like, it's really, I don't have the energy. Like, it was so backwards, but it was just the way that our family was supposed to play out. And, you know, yeah, we just kind of rolled with it. And it was, that was honestly some really exciting days too, because we were able to teach her how to read. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd never been a part of somebody learning how to read before. And and just some of those milestones that you hit at those, like, Mm -hmm. baby ages of, like, six, seven, eight was really different for us and what we had never really done before. And that was, um, that was super fun. So they lived with us, um, for two separate placements. Um, they were both each right around six months and, um, they left us again in March of this year. So what's that like about three, four months ago. Um, and, but they do come back a lot for visits. Um, they'll be coming with us on vacation next week. Um, so we try to still have a very good relationship with our kids wherever they are. But, um, in terms of the valleys part, I mean, to be honest, I, I, it has been incredibly tough with some of our kids as they've gotten older. Um, I, I sometimes say, I think like 13 and 17 to me are some of the toughest years to parent because I feel like they're on the cusp of something bigger and they're so excited for it that they, they can't handle where they're at. And so like they're 13 years old and they're heading into high school and they are way too cool for the school that they're in. And they feel like a teenager. They're called a teenager. They want to be a teenager, but they're 13. And it just creates a lot of drama in the house. I think, especially with girls at that age, from our experience. And then 17, you go through a similar transition where they're seniors in high school and they know a lot of information, but it's hard for them to stay in your house and still follow your rules and, and those types of things. And so, um, we've had some really tough roads, um, with our kids and we've had, um, to just be a little bit vague to protect their story. I mean, we've had some issues, you know, with, uh, having to call 911, um, having police involvement, you know, just other issues like that, that have made things, um, really hard and stuff that really break our hearts and stuff that we wished we never had to walk through with these kids, but at the same time, you know, are necessary in the moment. So it's a continued, I mean, the the older two are in their twenties now, you know, we're we're kind of moving into that stage and trying to figure out how to successfully launch them into adulthood and how to hand over the reins to them. And on some days that's going well. And on other days, sometimes they're floundering a bit and we're trying to figure out what that looks like for us again, as they're like, kind of, we were their temporary parents for a bit, but we still love them, but 
trying to navigate what our roles look like when they're adults. One of the most challenging pieces is is really figuring out what role we do have once it's post 18. Um, because I think one of the things that really struck me hard was, um, especially recently, is that their trauma, the traumas that they've experienced when they were younger, it doesn't suddenly stop or the brain isn't suddenly changed at 18. And so figuring out when society says you're a fully full-fledged adult and also, you know, just some of the expectations that we've set forth for, for the kids, trying to navigate that and figure out how we still balance being compassionate and caring and loving while also maintaining a different set of boundaries now that they're adults um, while trying to really navigate through their trauma, that's also been Mm -hmm. quite a challenge. Um, and there are times where, where I think we hit the nail on the head and we do a really good job. And, and there are times where it's, it's a, it's hard and it's a struggle and we really question whether we've done it right. But I think one, at the end of the day, what we've, what Trisha and I have always come back to is that we're trying, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, we know we're not going to get it right all the time. We know that we're not, we're, we're going to mess up like any parents do. Um, but we're in there, we're trying and we have the best of intentions and we were relying on each other for wisdom. Um, you know, in certain aspects, we're relying on, on family and friends and our support systems for wisdom. Um, you know, we're relying on our faith for wisdom. And so, um, really drawing on those different things to keep us going day by day, that's been really important for us when we've been going through those valleys is, is, is drawing on those things and, and, and just trusting, like, we're just going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving forward the best we possibly can. One of the, one of the funny things that we always say is like, give it 24 hours because in this house, People's feelings yeah. change within 24. It's going to feel like the worst day in the world, but <laughs> give it 24 hours and everybody's in a different mood and you're suddenly not feeling so bad. So I like, like that mantra. Just give it that you get through the next 24 I'm going to adopt that. You can have it. Yeah. You can take it. But yeah. it is an original Royce thing. Yes, I'm taking it. <laughs> well, you you know, trademark I it. Think, and I think this is such an important thing to talk about because three out of four of us are therapists and one of us works with kids also for a living and we still don't know what we're doing. And I think a lot of people, another kind of hesitation is like, I'm not qualified enough. And, and maybe it seems counter encouraging. Like we are qualified quote unquote, and we still don't always know what to do many times don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I think what you guys are harping on is that showing up, showing up, doing your best and being consistent, you know, making it work for these kids. It's not about having all of the credentials or knowing all the stuff, you know, like you said, you will figure it out. Mm -hmm. Time, a lot of things will change in time. Mm -hmm. Um, And no story is the same and no kid is the same. So there's not a cookie cutter answer to every problem. And and let me, let me just throw something on there is, is that, I would argue that those out there who feel like they don't quite know how they would do it, I would say that they are better equipped and I would I would argue that they are more prepared to enter into foster and adoptive into the foster and adoptive world than those that think they know it. Yeah. Because those that think they know it, they have preconceived notions and yeah. 
chances are when when the kid shows up and the honeymoon is over and things start really getting real, that's when that parent might really struggle. So for those that are really going, I don't know if I can do this. Number one question, are you willing to learn? Are you willing to get out there, make mistakes, try it? have the support, willing to listen to podcasts, read blogs, talk to people, connect, get advice. You know, if you're willing to do those things, you are able to be a foster parent. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really cool about our day and age is there's Facebook groups. I mean, even if you don't, you're not connected in like a church or a community. I mean, there are like four different foster care adoption groups just in our little area and I'm sure everywhere else and you have podcasts and you have blogs and you have support services and all of that fun stuff um, that are that's available right at your fingertips so yeah. I mean community and even, aspect, yeah, just even researching in your neighborhoods like what what kind of supports you have because it it there is seem to be more and more support springing up um, it, it, even where we live, um, you know, us getting connected to certain foster parent groups that actually meet, you know? And so, um, yeah, yeah being able to really look at what's available as far as resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just feel like important. if, if there is somebody who's listening right now, who is thinking about giving up because it's super hard, um, I would just really encourage them. It might, it might be the time to give up. That that's a, might be a valid option and that might be the right choice for you at this time. But I would really encourage you to seek out some mentoring or some um, professional support first. And I would say for me, I mean, I'm a therapist and I run a business where I'm coaching other foster and adoptive parents. And I also go to therapy. Like I have somebody that I've gone to in those moments where I've said, I need to sit and cry with you or I need you to help me sort this out. Right. And so it's, that's, that's, I think should be the norm. That's not necessarily the sign that you need to give up. Yeah. And so I think you need to really go through that whole process first before you decide to give up, not just because this week was hard Um, because it being hard, I think is, is part of the gig. And this is not Mm -hmm. a cute Instagram picture. This is actually hard. And that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. Um, that doesn't mean that you're bad at it. It just means that, that the stuff that we're trying to heal, the stuff that we're trying to come alongside is, is really tough stuff. And, and I think there are ways, unfortunately, like for us, we didn't have strong caseworkers that were directing us to support groups. We didn't have any friends that were foster and adoptive parents. And so the onus really came on us to kind of start Google searching and looking. And it took us a couple of years before we found a group that we could meet with. Um, you know, and, and it might, it means that you have to do that extra bit of work. It might mean that you, you know, sign up for an online course or you buy a book or you're watching some YouTube videos or whatever it is, it's going to be on you. Um, as an adoptive parent, you might feel alone, you know, but I think, it is worth it to go through that process yourself and to recognize that this is part of the journey and that's totally okay. Um, and just walk through it slowly and find yourself a village that can carry you in it. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that's really important. And that's, that is where you have to balance. I think what you said, Roy is really good that are you willing to learn? And that's really the question. And if you don't already have the support, it is out there. You might have to do, a little peddling of your own 
to get there, but it is, it is there. Yeah, that's great. So what else, what other final kind of tips as we're wrapping up? Um, I know Trish, you're kind of doing some stuff. We'll definitely connect people to, but any other um, resources or kind of words of advice as you've come through this as we wrap up? I think the two biggest things that, that I would say is number one, um, not doing this alone, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that you've got, um, that support, at least one other person that you can connect with, um, that maybe isn't in the trenches with you, but that you trust and can rely on. Um, cause you're going to need that time, um, with that person to, to, to refuel, um, it's kind of the, the analogy of, of, you know, a jar of water and, and, um, you are doing a lot of pouring out into these kids, right? And so the jar is going to get empty. And so you need somebody who's going to be able to replenish you um, and, and that connection. Um, and then that bridges kind of to the second gap is is finding those self-care um, strategies that really can help um, recharge you and taking that time regularly to refill your tanks. And I'll be the first one to admit that there are there have definitely been times where I've been really bad at that, um, that I've really struggled, but it's also really had a significant impact on my ability to parent and being present with the kids. Um, and that when I have really found the time, um, even as recent as this morning, uh, to really tap into some strategies that really help replenish me. Um, and, and then being able to come back in and, and be able to be a hundred percent, um, for what we're doing, you know, for, for Trish, for the kids, um, in, in all aspects of, of, of what we're doing, be like, what, what helps me, what replenishes me? Not, not what the world thinks is, you know, a good thing to do, but what, what do I know about myself that is helpful? Yeah. And that's, I think the key with self-care is, is knowing what helps you, not, what other people think would be good for you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for what you guys are doing. Really, um, when Trish introduced me to the podcast, like I've enjoyed listening to it. And so really appreciate the work that you guys are doing to support um, foster and adoptive parents as well. If you liked today's episode, we'd love to hear from you and get a review on any of our podcast places. We'd also love to hear from you on Facebook or Instagram, comments, feedback, or if you'd like to be a potential guest. Hope to hear from you soon.